Welcome to Trending, the podcast that brings you in-depth stories from the world of social media. I'm Mike Wendling. And I'm Raha Kansara. Today, we're going to talk to the person behind one of the most influential news outlets covering one of the most repressive countries in the world. He has an international network of writers and his sole outlet, a Facebook page. Editorial Press is an independent media site that in terms of funding any financial support or any government or any institution, regarding the political view of the Eritrean press, it is, it is hard in the UK, let alone in Africa, to have a strong political view. But however, when Eritrea and Ethiopia were in the Cold War, we supported Eritrean government no matter what. That's Jay. It's not his real name, nor are you hearing his real voice. He believes the risks for him and his family in Eritrea are too high for him to be publicly identified. So throughout this program, his words have been spoken by an actor. Jay is the editor of that Facebook page he mentioned, Eritrean Press. It's the biggest Facebook news page aimed at Eritrea, with more than a quarter of a million followers. Eritrea itself is a country where independent journalism is almost non-existent. Jay has never spoken to the media before, so what you'll hear today is his first ever interview. His story is complicated because Eritrean Press began life as a nationalist news page that aligned itself with the Eritrean government's agenda, particularly on relations with neighbouring Ethiopia. It changed when the political situation in the Horn of Africa changed. Last year, Eritrea and Ethiopia, once bitter enemies, became much friendlier towards each other. And because the threat of war has eased off quite significantly, Jay believes the time is right to take Eritrean Press into a new direction. And he's not afraid to be more openly critical of the Eritrean government. Now that relationship is back on, we don't need to support the government, but criticise on the things that they do wrong. If they do the right thing, we support them. If they do the wrong thing, we criticise them. A lot of time on this programme, we look at the negative side of social media. But this story harkens back to an almost old-fashioned notion that social networking sites can liberate information. They can fight back against autocrats and deliver the truth, or at least something closer to the truth, to people who live under dictatorships. We mentioned that Jay's Facebook news service is a rare independent source of news about Eritrea. We should make clear just how bad the press freedom situation is there. According to the international media monitoring group Reporters Without Borders, there's only one country worse than Eritrea when it comes to press freedom. North Korea. And yet, accessing the internet, including social media in Eritrea, is possible if you have a connection. Unlike in North Korea, where much of the population is prohibited from accessing the internet. If you have a connection is the key, of course. Because not many Eritreans inside the country do. It's pricey and unreliable. According to the World Bank, barely more than 1% of the population are internet users. But there is a thirst for news among the Eritrean diaspora around the world. And it's these readers that make up most of the Eritrean press's online following. Here's some background. Eritrea is a country in the Horn of Africa. Quite small, pretty similar in size to North Korea, with a population of around 6 million people. That's equivalent to just over half the people living in London. Eritrea was at one point an Italian colony, a British protectorate after World War II, then under the United Nations, an autonomous region, before becoming a part of Ethiopia. There was a brutal civil war that was 30 years long before Eritrea became independent from Ethiopia in 1991. But the tensions with Ethiopia never went away, 
And the country's post-independence president, Isaias Fuerki, never relinquished power. Eritrea is a one-party state. Opposition political parties are not allowed. At first, just after Eritrea gained independence in the 90s, there was a great deal of hope for the future of the country, its people and its standing in Africa. But things have changed a lot since then. I spoke to Samuel Jebrewet, the editor of the BBC's Tigrinya Language Service. It broadcasts news to both Ethiopia and Eritrea. Samuel's career in journalism began in Eritrea, where he worked for a state-owned newspaper, and he's witnessed some of the biggest events to occur in Eritrean history. But now, Samuel's one of many Eritreans who cannot go back to the country. When I was 16, I was joining the army, the Freedom Fighters movement. After independence, I lived in Eritrea almost for about uh, eight years or nine years. He's lived in Britain for the past 18 years, but he began his journalistic career working for the government news service in Eritrea. Uh, I used to write a number of stories regarding the revolution uh, and information to the society, how we fought for the independence, what kind of price we've paid, how the Eritrean government, uh, the Eritrean people uh, paid uh, or suffered to get independence, uh, this kind of issue. uh, And economical, political, and social issues we cover. We thought this is, this is our government. We fought for that independence, so we are part of that government. We protect ourselves, we censor ourselves, which one is good and which is bad. But later on, when things went wrong from what we expected, then we realized that this is something to be done. And we thought this is kind of a propaganda machine, especially after 2001. 2001 was a pivotal year in this story. Eritrea fought another war with Ethiopia from 1998 to 2000. Then, in 2001, President Efwerki used the threat of further conflict to refuse to implement a new constitution. He threw generals and reformers in prison. Press freedoms were shut down, with many independent journalists also detained. Our colleague Samuel from the BBC's Tigrinya Language Service told me that's when the idea of an independent media in the country just disappeared. This uh, media or this uh, private newspaper helps the Eritrean society to hear what the other side's voices. So the, the Eritrean government doesn't want this. He wants to listen what call this, his own media say only yeah. this situation divided the Eritrean people into two. Some of them support the government and the others is opposing the government because of this human rights abuse. So in 2001, the Eritrean government increased its control over the country, polarising society between those who support President Afweki's regime and those who oppose it. Non-state media became forbidden. Fast forward to 2014, and Jay created the Facebook page Eritrean Press from his home in the UK. The page has always been strongly nationalist in tone. But in its early years, it took something of a mixed line on the government. It loyally took the government's side on Eritrea's relationship with Ethiopia. But on other issues, such as housing and the lack of democratic freedoms, it was sometimes critical of the government's failings. Jay says he initially started the page 
not to become an independent journalist, but because he had a more patriotic idea in mind. He thought Eritrea was losing the international propaganda battle with Ethiopia. Simply, the government, the Eritrean government, is very weak when it comes to media, and it was losing the media war against the previous Ethiopian regime. So that's where I came up with the idea that created a page, and that's an independent page from the government and help with the propaganda war. As simple as that. When your country is threatened by security, then you're bound to support your country. The Facebook page continued along these lines for a few years, pumping out mostly nationalist posts, along with some criticism of the government's domestic policies. But last year in 2018, something changed. Also today, Ethiopia reopens its border with Eritrea, another significant step on the road to peace and, everyone hopes, prosperity for the former warring states. In 2018, the two countries normalised relations and signed a peace agreement. Border crossing points reopened, a remarkable development, and it's around the same time that Jay and Eritrean press changed their approach to telling the news. The change in editorial approach culminated in a post published in October last year. In the post, Jay accused the Eritrean president of nepotism. That is the day that we criticised the government officially. And what did that confirm for you? Nepotism. Right. But we don't know that's true. There hasn't been any official sources that have come out. His son has no business to be in that meeting. That's pure nepotism. There's no other word to say. Specifically, he alleged that the president had appointed his son Abraham as an advisor. And the page had an exclusive story that Abraham had attended talks with Ethiopia held in Saudi Arabia. The Post included Jay's sharp opinion. One line stands out. He wrote, We now confidently say that the Eritrean constitution is history as long as the dictator is in power. Jay was for the first time explicitly calling for a change of government. This was a political story plus an opinion, so something approaching a bit of muckraking journalism from an independent news site. Our colleagues at the BBC's Tigrinya service were not able to confirm the story and so didn't report it at the time. Samuel says the allegations show the difficulties in getting reliable information out of Eritrea. That, that's a speculation, but it's, the speculation comes from a point. The son of President Isis, Abraham, we have never seen him in the media, but he's part of national service as every Eritrean citizen. That's you know, mandatory to be, uh, serve the country for a certain period of time in your life. But during this the peace deal, the president's son accompanied president and was in the meeting in Saudi Arabia. That's people, they assume. For his part, Jay says Eritrea Press's story about President Efwaki employing his son came from a reliable source. But it was such a shift that the Eritrean Press readers were taken aback. The most liked comment on the post was one that read, This page must be hacked. So readers were somewhat surprised that the page had thrown off its gloves and started criticising the president so openly. This week, we're talking to the man behind one of the biggest Facebook news pages covering Eritrea. It's independent, free from influence from the state. But being independent comes with its own problems. The Facebook page is operated outside the country, in the UK, where Jay lives. And Jay which isn't his real name, has to keep his identity hidden because he fears he could be imprisoned if he was caught in Eritrea, where he often visits family and friends. 
So, Reha, I'm just scrolling through the Eritrean press feed right now, and I'm seeing stories about the Eritrean cycling team, uh, the under-17s football, and then some other sort of more newsy things, right? Uh, here's one about the African Union and a meeting that it's had. There's one here about a statue of Haile Selassie that uh, the African Union has unveiled. And a little bit of a lighter, uh, I guess, uh, just a photo that says, bless them and a picture of two Eritrean sisters who are visiting the USA or maybe they live there. Uh, It's a real sort of mix of things. There really is. But what I find more interesting about the page is that there is a system of posting the news directly to the Facebook page rather than linking back to articles or, say, videos. And this is probably due to the difficulties of filming within the country. So just a reminder of some of the statistics, which are actually pretty impressive. The page has more than a quarter million followers. The average post reach is 1.25 million in a week. As we mentioned before, because of the difficulty of getting onto the internet in Eritrea, most of these readers are probably coming from outside the country. When we sat down with editor Jay, we asked him about the extent of his readership. Can you tell us a little bit about your audience? Who reads your page? Ethiopians, Eritreans, and people from Somalia, Sudan, most of them are from East Africa. Do you have any idea how many people inside the country read your page? No, I don't. But I know that people of, they wouldn't get that access to see social media like other places because there is no connection. But there's over 30,000 Eritreans who live in Eritrea that follow Eritrean press. And you have a quarter of a million followers on your Facebook page. So you are reaching mostly... Eritreans who live outside, but you're also reaching a sizable number of people, probably, I'm guessing, of the more wealthy end who can afford an internet connection will probably be the ones who will be able to access your page. That's right. Do you have any idea if the government reads your page? Yes, they do. And they do follow it. You say that about 30,000 people inside the country, roughly, maybe read your stories. Do they get... A wider distribution? Do people talk about them or text them to friends or print them or find some other way to get your information to the rest of the population? One thing that I've noticed, people who follow Eritrean press back home, they don't comment or write things. You can understand the reason why. They do fear. But once they do come out, now, for example... Now most Eritreans now have access to travel to Ethiopia without any restriction. So once they do go to Ethiopia and they do have a better internet access, they do write and comment a lot. That is one thing that I've noticed. If you think about the context in which Eritrean press sits in, it's almost unique. This is a fledgling independent media outlet aimed at a country where there are none. There are only four newspapers, three radio stations and three television stations, all state-owned. So with that government dominance of the media, we wondered who is actually writing for the Eritrean Facebook page? Where are they based? Most of them are here in the UK and USA and Eritrea. And how many of them roughly are there? How many writers do you have? Around eight. And how are they getting their information? Through different channels. I do not ask them how they get it. It's just their source. So they're not willing to tell me how they're getting their information. How are you able to verify that what you're getting is correct? Trust. Through trust. 
some of the information that doesn't turn out to be true, then you create that kind of relationship with your editors and you trust them. So you do have some sort of verification or at least you are vetting people who are trustworthy or not or have good information or not. Yes, you do vet people. And the other thing is that when we get information, we do ask other people if this information is true. And probably that person will say that, yes, I've heard about it. And we verify in that way to know whether the story is true or not. Do you have people who are pro-government or anti-government? Do you have both? Both. And will they be activists of some sort, some of them? They are. Right. And they're all happy to write for the same Facebook page. Yes. I've given them a chance to show and write their political view regarding whether it is pro or anti-government. We check the article as it comes. Jay doesn't pay his writers. Instead, he says they are motivated to write by the page's large audience. And his writers, his journalists, they don't even know who their editor is. No one knows who I am. And how, how have you managed to make sure your identity has stayed hidden? Well, it comes with the work, let's call it. It's a political thing. It's very sensitive. There's friends and family are living in Eritrea, so you don't want to risk their life. Jay says he has high-level contacts in government and that they're reading his site. More interestingly, senior officials are also acting as his sources. Do you get personal messages from the information minister or other people in the government? Not from the information minister, but I do get from other government officials. Yes, I do get. And what kinds of things do they tell you? Information, meetings. Oh, so they're giving you tips. That's right. Right, and uh, story tips. So right. it's not necessarily that they're saying, don't write about this or write about this. They are sharing information. How much of it are they sharing with you? Are you getting documents given to you? Are they telling you a story anecdotally? No documents. There's no documents. Just they message me via Twitter. This is what happens. This is what's going to happen and follow this information. That kind of lead they do give me. Obviously, you're not based in Eritrea itself. So how do you follow up on these leads and verify that what you're getting is accurate? A phone call. We do chat with code. Some information back home and they do email you, text you. We put the facts and allegations in this programme to the Eritrean government. They declined to give us an interview, but the Eritrean embassy in London did give us a statement. It said that in Eritrea, people are free to express their opinion and that the government's main objective is to develop free, responsible and credible mass media to promote and strengthen national unity. The statement also said that, quote, Satellite dishes can be found in abundance across Eritrea, including cities and villages. People are free to listen, even to vile propaganda. And the spokesman pointed out that there are no legal restrictions on internet use. The government spokesman accused people with what he called a regime change agenda of spreading all kinds of ill content online and accused these unnamed people of links to Ethiopia. We also got in touch with the Minister of Information. He accused reporters without borders of bias, but didn't give any details. And the government officials did not comment on the story about the president's son or the Eritrean press post that accused the president of nepotism. The peace agreement between Eritrea and Ethiopia has opened up room for more dialogue between two countries with a very long and turbulent history. And perhaps it's opened up the space for more outlets like Eritrean Press. I asked Jay what he thinks the future holds. Is democracy achievable? 
It will happen, democracy in Eritrea, but I don't see it under this government. But what will it take for that to happen? The removal of the president. Does the Eritrean press have a position on the removal of the president? Do you think that the president should be removed? Do you think that there should be free elections? I believe there should be free elections, but that will not happen. So the president has to go. Simple as that. And how do you see him going if there are no elections? I don't know. I can't comment on that one. I'm wondering what you hope for, for Eritrea in the future. Peace. Freedom of expression. Eritrean press is not exactly what we think of as independent media in the West. It's still a fledgling, though popular, operation. But the fact that it exists at all is kind of amazing. It's a sign of how things have changed so dramatically in East Africa, between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and inside Eritrea itself. I asked Samuel from the BBC's Tigrinya Language Service if he thinks he'll ever be able to freely go back to Eritrea. Do you think in your lifetime you will be able to go back to Eritrea as a free man? Definitely, yeah. You think that the steps that Eritrea have taken with Ethiopia are just showing the world that, you know, there is space for change? Definitely, that's I believe. If the change comes, nobody can stop this change. And people doesn't love, live for forever. Yeah, and for sure, once upon a time, the change will come. And this change, I will expect to accommodate all the Eritrean society, whatever their political attitude or whatever their religion beliefs. So I hope we'll see all Eritreans one day in their beloved country. That's it for this edition of the BBC Trending Podcast. Our thanks to Ed Main, also to Rod Farker, who recorded and mixed the program, and our production managers, Caroline Besmer and Janet Staples. You can use our social media outlets to get in touch, or you can just email me. I'll give you my personal email. It's michael.wendling, that's spelled W-E-N-D-L-I-N-G, at bbc.co.uk. And if you're looking for something else to listen to, let me suggest a podcast you might like. Here at the BBC World Service, we've always called our history podcast Witness. But as it features the voices of people who really did witness history, we've changed the name to exactly that, Witness History. In a single week, they've got... Here's a list. I've got a list here in front of me of what they have. Are you ready for it? The man who brought Iceland's bankers to book after the economic collapse of 2008. The first woman to pilot passenger planes in the USA. The doctors who made the link between smoking and cancer. And the story of a best-selling underground publication from Soviet Russia, which was written by a homeless drunk. That one does sound very interesting, Mike. So remember the new title, Search for Witness History, wherever you found this podcast. And Trending will be back in your feed soon. In the next episode, we'll delve into the world of the infamous PewDiePie hackers, two teenagers who broke the law and hacked into printers to make them spew out messages in favour of their favourite YouTube vlogger. See you then. 